This episode of Pushers Breakaway is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. We couldn't do without you. We appreciate you so much. We just want to tell you personally, we love you. And if you want to become a Patreon subscriber right now, you can go to patreon.com slash Breakaway. You're sitting there thinking, is this podcast worth a dollar a month? Do I get $1 worth of entertainment out of this stupid, shitty podcast? <laughs> go to patreon.com right now slash Breakaway and subscribe for a dollar. We'll appreciate you forever. And, it's, yeah, well, let's just get to the show. I mean, there's a lot going on. This could be Hayes' last two weeks in a Ranger uniform. could be Zuccarello's last two weeks in a Ranger uniform. Georgie of the God versus the Leafs. We have uh, two guests today, our last of our trade segments. And uh, let's hit the road. Let's rock and roll. Let's go to Rangerstown. Let's go Rangers. Something like that. Here we go. Hey, Butcher Breakaway fans. Welcome to the week of the Butcher's Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead. I am here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, uh, salutations. It was a day after work where you fall asleep on the couch and everything was nice. And now you're speaking to just a great guy. All Who right. else is on the podcast? <laughs> we'll have some nice guests later. Our, uh, the greatest, One of the greatest guys we've ever had on the podcast, our friend Arvin, who's going to come on and talk about the Leafs and Alexander Georgiev's performance against them. And also probably some trade stuff. And then we're also going to have our good friend Dan Ryan. Is that his last name? Uh, that sounds right. Sure. Yeah. Good good name. Say so myself. But let's recap the Rangers week, shall we? Uh, the Rangers mm-hmm. lost in overtime to the Kings. Never happened like that before, has it? Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, then we won in probably the best overtime game I've ever watched. Uh, then we went to the shootout. And the defenseman we all thought would score did to win the overtime. That was good. Mm-hmm. Then... The 94 reunion game. Okay, great. Uh, obviously, the Rangers were going to get up for that one. All the uh, alumni in the house and uh, a lot of big-time stars on a Friday night and laid an egg against Carolina, who hasn't won again at MSG in 19 years. And then, uh, of course, Alexander Georgiev on his 23rd birthday stands on his absolute head, stopping, I believe, 56 shots. Uh, it's been it's been recorded multiple ways uh, from what I've seen. It could be 57 if they count another way, but I think it was 56 shots at the Garden. I think it was 55. Hmm. Could it be 55. I think I don't think they counted a Tavares tip at the end. I'm not sure. Whatever. 55 it is. Uh, fun fact: Georgiev is the second goalie in the last 32 years to make at least 50 saves on their birthday. The other goalie, Henrik Lundqvist, on his birthday, by the way. So a that, year ago, too. A year, which is unbelievable. Uh, so I guess that what that says for us, and what you know already, listening to this podcast, is that the Rangers' defense is truly awful. And it has not changed much, and they like to, you know, make sure that their goalies have the most happiest of birthdays, bar none. Other than that, Greg, somehow an eventful week. Yeah, uh, Rangers somehow playing semi-competent hockey for the most part. Right now at tankathon.com, stand at getting the 12th pick overall. I will say I stimmed the lottery 20 times, and there was one time we got in the top three. So I thought that was pretty good. Uh, 1-20, not bad. We did get the third pick that time. Sorry, guys. But the Rangers stand at 56 points overall. The lowest team right now is Ottawa, and they have 47 points. Detroit has 49. I'm assuming after the trade deadline, when a lot of these pieces leave, unless Mika Zvitojad stays on absolute fire, we're going to be shooting up these tankathon rankings, depending on what happens. Your thoughts on all that, Gregor? I know I gave you a lot. 
That was a lot. I, it broke my mind trying to <laughs> process it all. Um, Super recap day. I, the only thing, only thing I'm going to say on the Takeathon stuff is the Carolina Hurricanes last year finished with the 11th best odds and got the second pick overall. So it's not exactly unheard of for a team in this territory of the draft to do some major jumping. At the same time, I, I don't know. I've never really worried about when the Rangers are drafting in the first round because I never really thought – and this goes back to the summer. We we always thought the Rangers were going to be bad. We never thought the Rangers were going to be one of the five worst teams in the NHL. Even even with the trades, I just – it's going to be – it's going to be hard for the Rangers to be bad enough to get all the way down there. They couldn't do it last year. I don't think they're going to be able to do it this year because we – what – how many times do we have to say this? We expect Hayes gone. We expect Zuccarello gone. We expect McQuaid gone. I think there's some expectation that someone like Vlad Nemesnikov will also be gone. But that leaves – it leaves Zabinijad and Kreider, who are playing the best hockey of their careers. It leaves young forwards like Philip Heedle still on this roster trying to prove a point for next season. It leaves an improved defensive Core? Yeah, that's okay. it's it's been weird, right? McQuaid has been increasing his value, dare I say? I, I I'm gonna hesitate of saying he's increasing his value. I will admit that Adam McQuaid has brought stability to the lineup. Whoa. I'm not saying <laughs> it, it's one of those things where it, it's I, I, I don't want to say Adam McQuaid's been playing well. I mean he's I think he's been playing as well as we could hope Adam McQuaid to play. Um, I just, there's something about his, I, I hate when it says like, oh, it's his presence in the lineup does something, but it's kind of like when, what a trope, right? Yeah. But we've seen it many times before for, I don't think the 2015 Mets were necessarily better because they had Michael Kadir clocking in at, five at the same time. Anyway, this is what I do at the same time, the Mets lineup those guys in the lineup would say they felt safer with Kadai or in there or something ridiculous like that. It, 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 there is a mental aspect to this game that even advanced stats can't account for. For whatever reason, Brady Shea feels better playing with Adam McQuaid and it shows it. The advanced numbers continue to say Adam McQuaid is kind of a fart defensively. He is what he is. That's nice for he's Adam. A depth, yeah. He's a, he's a depth defenseman that some other playoff team, is going to want to trade for ahead of the deadline. I don't think Adam McQuaid is necessarily that great of a player. And at the same time, he's having a positive impact on Brady Shea. So a little confusing how that works. Just like Mark Stahl, independent of everybody else, is a below average defender. Tony D'Angelo, independent of everybody else, is a questionable defender. Yet you put those two guys together, and for whatever reason, that pairing works. Spectacularly, I might add. (laughs) It's one of the most befuddling parts of the entire Rangers uh, season, mostly because we've spent every single week on this podcast talking about how Stahl and Pionk shouldn't be put together. And suddenly, and it's strange how that works, as soon as you change that up, things just seem to work out. Things yeah. work for Tony D'Angelo. And I really liked this game this entire week. He had a tough one against the Leafs. It wasn't his best performance. His well, turnover directly can't, led to can't the we just, Can't we just say that about everyone? Goal. No, I... No, I, I think some guys actually played well against the Leafs. I mean, Georgiev, chief among them. Well, I was talking about the but, defense who let up, you know, 56 shots. 55, sorry. Yeah, but at the same time, it felt like a third of those shots came on the first power play opportunity of the game for the Leafs, and that was 
a Stahl Pionk production. It it blows my mind that as well as Stahl has played with D'Angelo, and again, I'm not trying to say my, Tony D'Angelo is a shutdown defenseman and should be playing penalty kill minutes. All I'm saying is we've seen enough of Stahl Pionk on a penalty kill where I don't think we need to run that back ever again. We, we get it. It's not good. There's no need to – what else is there to learn? And this this goes this goes back to a lot of the things we talked about Neil Pionk. I'm I'm happy that Neil Pionk is still getting playing time because we are still trying to determine what exactly his long-term role could be. At the same time, I feel like we've answered enough Neil Pionk questions to know two things. One, it doesn't work with Mark Stahl, and two, he's not a penalty killing defenseman. Like we don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, if and you wanna, also the- if you want to trot him out there with like a, a Brendan Smith to see if that works, or if you want to try them out. Hell, if you want to try them out there a couple times with Brady Shea to see if that works, fine. Fucking go for it. I don't care. But we enough of stall Pionk. We're good. We don't need it anymore. Here's the thing. With Pionk himself, could you try him? Hmm. I just thought, I don't know if, if the experiment is over just yet for them. Because they're going to try and find out what they really have, especially once McQuaid goes, right? Like, he's going to be getting oh, a lot right, of no, playing no, time. No, that- yeah, that's my point. Keep giving him playing time. I'm all for it. Just stop giving him playing time with Mark Stahl. Yeah, I, I think we've kind of agreed with that for weeks now, where it's like, okay, Neil Pionk, you you obviously have something going on. You have this crazy ability to make something happen out of nothing. All the stats hate you no matter what you do and what you say, but we have to see what we have here because we might be signing you to a contract, and that's something that's coming up very quickly um, over the I next... Was, I don't think... I, I think he's two years away? No, he's a, he's up... He's up RFA rights after this year. Oh, He's gonna. He, the Rangers have to think about bridging him or extending him after the season. I think Pionk is like a Jimmy VC character where it doesn't really matter if you bridge him because I just I think it's he's he's going to be a vanilla depth piece like Jimmy VC is. So if you want to give him a bridge, it doesn't really matter because you're not really you're not worried about buying out UFA years of Neil Pionk. Because I think it's just as likely in two years Neil Pionk is on waivers than it is Neil Pionk is in a top four role. I guess I should just start our summer conversation now. Uh, just a brief preview. Just if we bridge Pavel Buchnevich, I'll flip a shit. Okay, sounds good. I, I, it, it's gonna. <laughs> they're they're gonna be long chats about whether they will or won't. I will flip a shit. Okay. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about the Rangers continuing to want to play seven defensemen and my general thoughts on that. Yeah, it seems like it's kind of a forced hand, doesn't it? Like they don't it, want to they don't, they don't want to send Tony down and they don't really want to send Neil down. Well, they they can't send Tony. There's no reason to send Tony down. Honestly, there's no reason to send Neil down at this point. Just ride it out. It's it's unfortunate that they haven't moved another defenseman, be it I mean, Brendan Smith's been playing a little bit better recently. At the same time, there is not going to be a trade market for Brendan Smith. So at some point, you just have to decide it is what it is and either sit him or demote him or eat that salary in some way, shape, or form. Um, it, the logjam will loosen a little bit when McQuaid gets traded, but at the same time, by the time when McQuaid gets traded, Freddie Clayson's going to come back. I, I kind of understand why Quinn's playing seven defensemen, right? I don't think there's anything else to learn about Vinny Letary. I don't think it's necessary to have Vinny Letary in the lineup if he's up here from Hartford. I'm I'm not angry that Letary gets scratched. So he's he's trying to play 
his 18 best players, or at least the 18 players that give him the most curiosity long-term for the Rangers. And I'm here for that. That's great. I just, I just think playing 7D is a, it's not a losing strategy because again, we don't really care about wins or losses. So calling it a losing strategy, some people might be like, Greg, isn't that the point? We, we don't my really care about that, but we've had a lot of quality wins lately, by the way. As we my, my problem with playing 7D is I don't think it's a developmental strategy, and I think that's the bigger problem. Because who who benefits from playing 7D? You're kind of fucking a little bit with whoever you put on your fourth line, in this case, Boone Nieves and Jimmy VC. I guess it doesn't really matter what happens to them, but those are also young pieces that you're trying to figure out what their role will be on the future Rangers. I feel like they already least. figured out Boone, don't you? Yeah, and I, I guess VC's the same, but at the same time, I'd prefer not to hamstring those players. You know what I mean? I think it, 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 it's less about the impact it has on the fourth line guys and more, again, the impact it has on someone like Neil Pionk. We're, we're trying to figure out what Neil Pionk is, and you're kind of not giving him something to hold on to consistently. And I think consistency is a big part of development. And how many times in this podcast have we said there's there's no – such thing as a linear development developmental curve. Everyone does it differently. Everyone Wait, hold has on. their own. Hold on, Re- rewind. Have we ever said that? <laughs> like, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've, we've we've said that concept, but the way you just said it so eloquently. Right, I've never used I've the word <laughs> linear developmental curve. Yeah, I was like, podcast. wait, hold on a fucking uh, but, second. No, but I, I've, I've, never I've done that. constantly said I've constantly said there's more than one way to develop a young player. Of course, I've just never never put it in those. Those terms. Put Whatever. your, put your, smart and yeah, put your scientist took, glasses on. Jesus. Yeah, I took a fucking nap on the couch today. The couch made me smarter. I don't know what to tell you. When I nap in bed, it's just like puffing When I'm on the couch, it's like yeah. When I'm on the couch, it's like holy shit, I'm smart. I'm gonna snap on the couch more often. Uh, yeah, I just I I don't think it helps Neil Pionk to basically have him not have a consistent defensive partner not have consistent shifts and even sometimes play a wing. I, I don't think you're doing him any favors. I know that I, I think yesterday Brendan Smith was getting most of the wing shifts, which is again, fine because what are we worried about Brendan Smith at this point? We don't care. He's just going to be on the just, team until he gets cut or. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like we're not doing Neil Pionk any favors by playing seven defensemen. And maybe at the end of the day, I shouldn't be worried about Neil Pionk. Because, again, I feel like we've determined, or at least we're coming awfully close to understanding that Pionk is, at his best, an offensive-minded third-pairing defender. Which, again, is fine. He, that's an NF, NHL piece. An NFL piece, I, too. I, I, yeah, for sure. Um, he could play running back for the Cleveland Browns, I'm sure, if he decides to have some transgressions in his life. Let's kick it. Uh, yeah, I... I, I guess I guess Neil Pionk isn't a guy I should get angry about in terms of how we're deploying him in a developmental standpoint. At the same time, it's just I don't I don't know who benefits from playing seven D. I don't think it. Who are you helping? To me, what, what are we doing? Like, does does it help Kevin Shattenkirk to have to go between Brendan Smith and Neil Pionk at any given time? No, absolutely. Does it help not. Tony D'Angelo nope. at all that Neil Pionk is taking ice time with Mark Stalloway? No, I, really, I, the only it, it seems like the only three guys that don't. Well, I mean, the only two guys that don't get impacted by the seven D lineup are Shane McQuaid. It feels like everyone else rotates a little bit. My, and I, I don't, 
I don't know who I don't know who that helps. My theory about this is that Gordon went to Quinn and said, "Hey, I got to trade guys, and I'm going to be trading them soon, hopefully. But until then, we have to keep D'Angelo on this roster, and I kind of want to keep Smith up here too, just in case there's a chance I trade him. So you're going to have to roll with seven D until after the trade deadline, and then we'll figure something out. That's that's my whole theory about it. I think that's that's really what the conversation that happened. I don't th- I don't think so. I I I think. I think Quinn sees that Shea benefits from playing with McQuaid. And I think that's, well, that's independent. E- easy to see, right? Yeah, I think, but I also think that's independent of uh, Gorton wanting to trade McQuaid. I think Quinn just sees that and says, this is helping one of my better, more important young defensemen. I need to play them together. Uh, and I think, I think Quinn has seen that Stahl D'Angelo works. So he doesn't want to mess that up. I, I, I just think, one, I just think Vanilla Terry is not that good. And two, I don't think it's a trade thing with Brendan Smith. I, I just think Smith, for better or worse, has has played decent the last week or so. Yeah. I'm not ex- well, I'm not I'm not here to I'm not here to say it's it's a turnaround or anything because Smith still had just a god awful penalty in the first period yesterday, which led to that first power play opportunity for the Leafs which led to what felt like 30 of their 55 shots. Um, I just, I think, I honestly think Quinn looks at the, the 19, 20 skaters. He had 19, not including Clayson. He just looks at those guys and says, my best 18 includes seven defensemen. Well, you know, just, you know what Latieri is at this point. It just stinks to me that that, yeah, it just stinks to me that the best 18 guys on the roster include seven defensemen. Well, especially because our defense is so bad, is what you mean? A little bit of that, but mm-hmm. also a little bit of if if Letary isn't good enough to play in this lineup, why not bring up a guy that could be interesting? You know what's why, funny? Are we, why are we hamstrung to Vinny Letary? You know what's funny? The guy I want to bring up the most is probably John Gilmore. And he's another defenseman. Another defenseman? Yeah, another one. It's just it's such funny a- because the guy the guy I would like to see get a chance with the Rangers is Chris Bigris, another defenseman. <laughs> And yet, uh, there's that's not going to happen. There's going to be no room for them. There's, there's no. I don't. I don't. Do you? They would have to trade two guys, right? Yeah. Because or, if they trade, Barry if they trade Smith. one, we still. They or they got a Barry Smith. Yeah. Because right now, when Clayson's healthy, I, I I still think Clayson deserves a spot in this lineup. Well, yeah. Over Clay, who? I don't know. Clayson's going to be a bargain. He's signed for next year too, isn't he? So, he's an RFA as well, so mm-hmm. they have his rights, but he's not signed. Right. So, well, there's a chance he'll be here. That being said, like he could be a piece for the Rangers, and you you want to make sure if, if he's going to be a piece, you want to give him the tryout. And Clayson's been pretty good when he's been on the ice, despite Quinn bidding him a few times for reasons that, that are still not clear to me. I, I think worst case scenario is Clayson will be the Rangers' seventh defenseman next year. At the same time, I I'm still kind of expecting just a huge wave of change among the Rangers defense that I can't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable speaking about anyone outside of Shea and Shattenkirk being mainstays in the Rangers lineup next year. I think that's perfectly reasonable by the way. And we'll, we'll go over that a a plenty uh, going forward, but I do want to make at least the case for Tony D'Angelo. Every, every time he's been on the ice so far, I think he deserves to be on this team and he is, he's become a valuable asset. He, like, uh, when he was, uh, you know, this is so dumb, and well, again, just a stupid trope. But when he skated past the Boston bench and just chirped at him, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm in. I know he's a dick. I know he's, like, 
No one likes him, and it's got maturity issues, but he brings a lot to the team. He really does. He's a value on the contract he's on, so I can't imagine he's not actually the third piece of the defender that's going to be on the team next year. I, I agree with you with the other pieces, but I think Tony ends up staying. I, I wonder if Tony's good play recently has other teams watching him and being more open-minded about his ability to stick on an NHL roster and not put his own foot in his mouth. So the only it, – it's – it's less me saying I think Tony D'Angelo is good at this point. I think he, I think he is, and I agree with you. If the if the Rangers want to move forward with Tony D'Angelo, he deserves to be on this team in a role. I I would love for the third pairing next year to be stalled D'Angelo, and then you figure everything out on top of that. At the same time, he's still a young defenseman. He's he's entering his first restricted free agency year. I could see another team wanting to trade for Tony D'Angelo if they if they so choose. So I'm not, I'm, I, I would, my hesitation saying Tony D'Angelo is a lock to be in the Rangers defensive lineup next year is less about his performance. And it's more about his performance has been so intriguing this year that maybe, maybe the Rangers decide to flip him in a trade. Well, that's good because that means they actually got value for their asset that they've been holding on to despite uh, a, a plethora of problems, according to management. Which, speaking of value, I guess this is a good time. Do you believe that Georgiev's performance against the Leafs could spark interest for him, especially this offseason? Maybe. I don't really know. I don't see the point in trading him, though. Even if Igor comes over? Even oh, what's What's the rush with Igor coming over and make? And I understand that Igor should, in theory, be the Rangers either one B option or straight back up to Henrik Lundqvist next year. But I'm, I'm a firm believer that competition hurts nobody. And I'm a firm believer that you could convince me that the best thing for Igor's development in his first season over from uh, Russia is a year in Hartford. Yeah. But does he agree to that? I mean, that's another question we'll, we'll never be able to ask him, but sure. Um, and at the same time, we got to remember, Georgiev just turned twenty three. Like, what? Why are we in such a hurry to trade him? Just feels it like never hurts that it never hurts to have waiver exempt goalie depth that you know is proven and able to play in the NHL. If a team was willing, uh, this is the case with all players. If a team was willing to overpay, what is an even overpay for Georgiev? I guess like a first would be an overpay. I, would you do anybody? A second, a second would be an overpay. Do you really think Georgiev right now can net nope. higher than a third-round pick? I think he could possibly get a second in the offseason. Cam Talbot got two seconds, and that was a guy coming off and it's one ha- of the most impressive seasons year. as a backup. Yeah, but you look around, you you look can, around you the league, make... and you're like, oh, my God, it's just teams are like so desperate for goalies. And if you see this guy who's 23, he's just coming off – just worked with Benoit Lair. He did all the training for you. It's a tempting offer. Yeah, I just, but at the same time, just the goalie trade market is just always depressed. I mean, more proven assets than Georgiev. Scott Darling didn't net that much. Ben Bishop didn't net that much. Yeah, the Ben Bishop thing surprised Cam Talbot. me. Like it's it. Whether whether you you feel that all those guys got traded for below market value or not, the fact is proven NHL starting caliber talent like Ben Bishop, the best they can do is a second round pick. Hmm. So I, I just, I'd, I'd be stunned if George F is getting you anything more than a third. And while I get that 
at, at where the Rangers are in their development, any lottery ticket, even if it's a third round pick, is a lottery ticket worth trying to cash. I, I don't see any. Let me put it this way, right? Whatever Georgiev trade you think you can make right now, you'll be able to make this summer as well because his contract is so cheap. So you might as well hold on to him just to make sure that Igor is actually coming over. And then when Igor does come over, you might as well hold on to Georgiev just to make sure that Igor is ready for the NHL. And once you decide that Igor is ready for the NHL, then we can have this discussion. I don't, I don't think it's really there's, – there's no, there's no rush. I, I, I just wanted to talk it out because I feel like that's a game, and we've talked about NHL GMs and just GMs in general. Um, for example, Doc Rivers, uh, the GM of – or former GM of the Clippers, now the head coach, uh, pretty much just took anybody that beat him when he was on the Celtics and, and got him on their team. I could see another uh, GM, especially because that was a nationally televised game and got a lot of different highlights for it saying, hey, remember that guy Georgiev? Why don't we scout him out and see what we can takes to get him? He could be a gem on our team. He could be a depth piece. We could give him a second. We, we need that goalie that's going to give us this run. Maybe this 23-year-old kid could be the answer. I just I just imagine that happening very easily. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, maybe I'm giving GMs not enough credit. I just – what – I know I know both of them aren't exactly having stellar years this year, but they still have track records that George F. lacks – Ahead of this year's deadline, what contender is in need of a goalie and would ask themselves, I'd, I'd rather give up a semi-premium draft pick for what is still a relatively unknown in Alexander Georgiev, or I'd rather give up a third rounder, a fourth rounder for someone like Keith Kincaid or Cam Talbot? Yeah, that's fair. Well, Cam is definitely available, 100%. I, I I I have no intel. I mean, we're friends with him, but I I have not asked him this directly. Keith has to be available too, right? If you're the Devils, Black Blackwood's been playing well. Young goalie, you're trying to get him minutes. Keith's on an expiring deal. Yeah, the Devils aren't doing anything this year. We don't have any in, no, legit no sources on this. Have not talked to no, Keith about it. At, at the same, it, we're not idiots. Like it, it, the writing seems to be there. I'd be surprised if Keith returns to New Jersey next year. So if you're if you're a contender and you're looking for a backup goalie with playoff experience, I mean, Keith put that team on his back last year and carried them. Well, I mean, him and Taylor Hall oh, him, certainly him helped. Him and the MVP, yeah, did, did a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, but Keith Keith did a lot of legwork for that Devils team last year. So if you're if you're looking for a backup goalie with playoff experience, I just it, the Rangers are going to ask you to overpay for Georgia, or the Devils will ask you for anything. Yeah. So I just Talbot too. I think You're a contender right. would look at the market and just say, I'd rather fuck with Kincaid. I just think it's important to have these conversations about value of your players so that sure. a, a, as got, a Ranger fan, you don't sit there and be like, well, Georgiev, uh, it, it, I think it's important that you and I hash this out once in a while because I feel yeah. like as fans, uh, we do overvalue the players that are on our teams multiple times. Speaking of overvaluing players, before we get to our first guest of the day. Mr. Arvin. Uh I got I got annoyed yesterday and should have just walked away from Twitter.com about Jimmy VC. I have one more about, topic too after this, by the way, just just reference. Yeah, I know that, VC, I know where you're going. VC, with yeah, VC scores the goal and immediately everyone goes, the Rangers should cash in on his trade value, but they won't. And my just yes, to to the to the larger point, if some team walks up to the New York Rangers and says, Holy shit, we are hot to try for Jimmy VC. How about a second round pick? Done. Who says no? Nobody. Nobody. Of course not. Nobody. Even a third round. Even a third round pick. If someone wants to offer a third round pick for Jimmy VC, 
I go think for I, it. I think I say no, by the way. Just personally. Why would you say no? Uh, I think Jamie Vesey's better than a third-round pick. I just... I don't think so. Really? What's special about Jimmy VC? I think his goal scoring ability is pretty good. Everything else is pretty lacking. What's okay? What's the difference between Jimmy VC and Lee Stempniak? Oh, fuck, I miss Lee sometimes. <laughs> they're both they're both bottom six forwards who have the ability. What's the difference between someone like Jimmy VC and Brendan Peary? Is Brendan Peary still with Vegas? Yeah, he's having a hell of a year too. What? But that kind of guy. I guess I, uh, he, Brandon Peary's a twenty goal scorer who can before this year can live in a bottom six and snipe. The difference is Brandon Peary can actually finish. Uh, I guess I think Jimmy Jimmy VC Jimmy VC is a very vanilla fifteen goal scorer who lives in every team's bottom six. My whole thing is my whole thing last night wasn't the Rangers shouldn't trade Jimmy VC. My whole thing was why is another team looking to acquire Jimmy VC? Every team has a Jimmy VC. Yeah, I guess so. Why would a team go go out of their way to be like, I want a second for Jamie Vesey? What's special about him? That's a good point. If, if a team wants to offer the New York Rangers a second round pick for Jamie Vesey, I will I will be in the be in the in the mob with all of with everyone else saying the fuck are the Rangers doing? I just I just think Jimmy Vesey is generic bottom six forward. He's he's a guy who has a seventy eight rating overall in the NHL EA franchise where every year you pick up that kind of guy because you want a guy on your fourth line or your third line. I just, I don't think there's anything special about Jimmy Vesey. When he reaches UFA status, he's a guy that's going to sign a bunch of one-year deals and jump from team to team. And everyone's going to ask themselves, is this a team that's going to get the most out of Jimmy Vesey? When really, I think this is Jimmy Vesey. He's, he's not, he's not young. No, he's not. We, we always think these guys are young. He's like 25 already. His development he's curve. A, his linear development curve is pretty much over. He's, I, yeah, I think he is what he is, which is he's a, he's a goal-scoring winger who has a propensity to miss the net. By the way, Peary started red hot with the Vegas Knights, and now he is scratched, healthy scratched. So there you go. Yeah, I just, I think every team, I think every team has a Jimmy VC. So my whole... I, I did get sidetracked yesterday where I got I got so defensive about my point that I was I was starting to make a point that I didn't originally start to make. <laughs> my whole point with Jimmy VC is trade value. What trade value? I just I don't understand why a team would look at but Jimmy But this goes goes back like, to my conversation with you. I was like, I think it's fair for us to sometimes come on here and be like, hey, Ranger fans, here's what the actual value of these players are, despite your thinking of them. Yeah, if I I don't know if you get more than a fourth for Jimmy VC. In before, like, in before we trade Jimmy Vesey for a second next week, and we just have to sit here with crows in our mouths. I, and you know, I would love, I would love to be wrong about it. I just, I think, I think the difference between trading for Jimmy Vesey is, is like the Rangers trading for Nick Holden, a depth defenseman. They they gave up a fourth round pick for Nick Holden. I, that's the kind of guy I think Jimmy Vesey is, except he's a forward and not a defender. Real quick, because we have just, to get to Arvin. Yeah, I just wanted to get over this real quick. I, during the Toronto Maple Leaf game, I got to tell you how much I actually enjoy the star clock, the shift counter for like Kreider and Matthews. I thought that was, I did. Uh, Because I looked at it as a marketing perspective of like, how could you make it easier to watch hockey? And I like the fact that you could be like, oh, Kreider's on the ice now. Where should I, I should look for him. And it kind of makes you a smarter fan to like watch a certain player. Uh, not that I was doing that in particular, but I liked the idea. I thought it was an innovative idea f- uh, for NBC. I, I kind of enjoyed it. Uh, I, 
I agree and I disagree. Okay. One, I don't, I don't know why Kreider was the guy the NBC chose. Thought about this a lot. I think it's because uh, they did some marketing research on it and was like, who's the most recognizable Ranger outside of Henrik because we cannot have a counter for him. And the answer was Kreider. And it, I, be- I, I believe that to be true no matter how good Mika is and he is the real star. You really think Chris Kreider is more recognizable than Matt Zuccarello? Uh, I do. Interesting. Um, I do. I do. Okay, fine. I, I'll just I'll just cop to that. So be it. Um, two to further that, I just I wish there was more context with that. Um, it just they weren't acknowledging it at all. It, it just kind of existed there. I wish we were getting total ice time for the game after each shift, like when they come off the ice. And to further that point, I wonder, I, at the same time, you always you always get worried about there just being too much clutter on the screen for stuff like this. But instead of like not listing all five names on the ice, but what if in that bar you just have the five numbers of the players on the ice? I was actually thinking that too. That was my next point before. We had to get to Arvin actually really quick. Maybe we can bring back to this. But I think having the lines come up, like underneath and showing the numbers, I think that's a really good idea. And maybe the future of hockey television. Who knows? Who knows? But Who it, knows? It, it, yeah, you, you, you get to a point where you just start worrying about clutter on the screen. And the whole point of the screen is to be watching the game. And sometimes innovation inhibit or encroaches on what you're actually trying to do, which is just watch hockey. All right, let's get to Arvin because he's going to be calling in right now. Uh, we're going to talk to Arvin about the Leafs, how sad they are, how happy they are. Who knows? And uh, go from there. Here we go. Transition. Hey, we're back with one of our favorite recurring guests. We have Arvin from Pension Plan Puppets. What's up, man? Good night. All right. Fun time. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you guys are having me on. I haven't uh, ruined my reputation yet. No. On one of these, so. <laughs> it's true. You almost did one time, but let's not talk about that. That's not your yeah. fault, by the way. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, Georgiev, your thoughts on him? Are your first time ever seeing him? Um, yeah, that was the first I had seen or heard of him. I guess you guys are set after Lungfist retires. Um, he's not even I mean, the prince, which is the craziest part. Oh, really? He's not. Who's supposed to be the bridge? This Igor Shesterukin, who's uh, from Russia. He's like the KHL all-star goalie who's in the Rangers prospect. I see. Yeah, I mean, he. I mean, hats off to him. He had a absolutely brilliant game. Uh, and I mean, there's not much you can do when a goalie does that. I, there was four or five great chances that he that he stopped and I think actually you know the Rangers did a pretty good job especially in the third period kind of limiting the Leafs quality you know I was actually recapping that game for our site and one thing I noted is that you know in the third period basically the Leafs plan was okay let's try a point shot hopefully it hits something hopefully there's a rebound like there, there, there weren't that many amazing chances that even strength towards the later end of that game so I think the Rangers defense did a you know better job than I thought but yeah he the goal of the show yeah, it, it it really felt like everything was coming up roses for the Leafs on the power play. But yeah, yeah. At, at even at even strength, it, didn't, it never really felt like the Rangers were being manhandled. Yeah, I mean, there there was a time in the in the first period where I thought the Leafs were like really really outskating the Rangers, but then it, it evened up, and especially when that top line of the Rangers got out there, uh, Zuccarello, Kreider, Zibanejad. Oh, baby. Um, I mean that that I mean that's a great first line, not just a great first line in general. Like I think I think that's a that's a above average first line in the league, right? I think all three of those guys are really, really excellent players. I think after so that, it, though, it, that's where our team starts lacking. Pretty yeah, much everything yeah. else. I mean, 
Yeah, and I, I again, I wrote this in in the recap. Again, and I, the way I do the recaps is that like I pretty much just write my notes as I'm watching the game, right? And I, I said like somewhere halfway through the first that like you know the the Leafs depth should absolutely score goals on the Rangers depth, and it, as it turned out, they didn't. Yeah, well, I I know I know Zibanejad is one of your darlings. We've talked about him and how yeah. much you like him. Yeah, man, I just love him as a player. He, he he is just. He's broken out in a way that I don't think any Ranger fan could have even predicted. But he's legitimately a star I've been looking for since I just really got back into the team like seven years ago. Sorry, Rick Nash. Yeah, like he, he's 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 wonderful, and beyond the scoring, he he does a lot other otherwise. Like he's a very good play driver as well, right? He's um, I, I've always kind of mentally considered him kind of similar in in caliber of player to to Nassim Kadri on the Leafs, right? Where they're they're I think for a lot of their career they've both been kind of really high end second line centers and then like low end one sees, but now as a banner this year has just exploded. Yeah. He, the, the stat of him being involved in, well, going into the night, I think he had, he was directly involved in 13 of the last 14 Ranger goals at some point after the first goal he scored yesterday. And he had scored yeah. 11 of them. Uh, yeah. It safe, safe to say Mika's a uh, true number one center and one of the just, most underrated stars in the league right now. I, I forget how young he is too. He's only 25 and it feels like yeah. he's been around forever. And especially as a Leafs fan, cause he used to be in Ottawa, right? Yeah. So yep. I, I've, I've been seeing him forever. That was the Derek Broussard um, trade with them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah another, we, another great decision by Sims Checkmate. We yep. won that one. Yeah. Not, not just the fact that it was Broussard for Zibanejad. It was Broussard for Zibanejad and a second round pick. Truly you know who was, incredible deal. Do you know who was taken with the second round pick out of curiosity? Uh, yeah, so the second round pick was transferred to Detroit, mm-hmm. and I believe they took Jonathan Bregan with that okay. pick. Yeah. Bergen, so Bregan, Bergen? I, I, I don't know who that is, so I'm guessing he hasn't turned into that much. He's he's an he, well, it was so it was this year's second round pick. Oh, it was this uh, year. Okay, okay. Yeah, that was um, he's a name, he's a name I remember uh, our prospect guru Drew Way was was a fan of his. So I it's an it's a name I've recognized, but I I will cop to not following his season in juniors this year. I will cop to not knowing who he is. Just perfectly fine. I'll admit it. <laughs> so I, I think we brought you on here mostly other than to talk about the game last night. And I guess actually let's uh, we were just ending the last segment with this. What did you think about the uh the MBC shift counter for Matthews and Kreider? Oh, we, we didn't have that. I mean I I had the Canadian broadcast, fucking, right? So fucking TSN. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we the Sportsnet broadcast. Whatever. The Sportsnet broadcast is, is awful. I mean, I'm sure the NBC one is bad too. Uh I remember last year during the playoffs, I was my brother lives in San Francisco and I was visiting him and I was watching the playoffs there. And I was struck at how bad the NBC commentary was. Oh, the commentary um, is not great. I do yeah, like Doc, well, Doc a lot, but everything else is last last night. Last night though was actually nice because NBC had the doubleheader. So Doc and Pierre did the twelve thirty game, which oh, meant good. Uh, Kenny Albert and Brian Boucher actually did the Ranger game. And I again, I, like Ryan, I love Doc, but just taking out Pierre and replacing him with someone who can actually explain what's happening on the ice. Anybody like Brian who can literally watch hockey and talk about it. Yeah, yeah, and, and Pierre Ronick, is awful. Yeah, and Ronick wasn't in the studio, and neither yeah, Ron- was Milbury. Yeah, so Ronick and Milbury was, are the two the two people I just despise. Yeah, so it actually it actually was kind of nice. You had you didn't have Pierre, you didn't have Milbury, and you didn't have Ronick. So, all things considered, best case scenario if you're trying to watch hockey on NBC. Yeah, I, I saw some people on my Twitter timeline talking about that that star counter, and it, it, it's it's kind of cool, I, I guess. I mean. It seems like it's kind of a 
an attempt to make it almost NBA like. It's like, oh, pay attention to this star. Except, I mean, just the reality of hockey is that stars don't have the game to game impact they do in basketball. So it it's a little, it rings a little hollow for that reason. But I see what they're trying to do with it. I I, I do enjoy the idea. I just think it makes it easier for the casual fan, and that's who they should be trying to get. Is somebody? Yeah, that's somebody true. that just flips by and it's like, oh, what the, what's this? So oh, this looks fun. Oh, who, yeah. And it this guy's it on the immediately ice. tells them. It immediately tells them, okay, who's the guy I need to watch out for? And especially with Austin Matthews and an American, uh, who you know, I think the league should be trying to market a lot more, especially given his his non-traditional hockey background. I think they should be marketing the shit out of Austin Matthews because let me tell you, once Sidney and Ovechkin retire, what, in like five years, six, seven, nine years, whenever they retire, um, that guy's going to be the face of the league. If not like the, like him and Connor McDavid, like is there any other two players that are going to be around here just being the face of the league? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. maybe, I, markets probably play into that. Like, I mean, if you guys end up with Jack Hughes, he's going to be, He's going to be up there. I We're think, picking 12 right? right now, dude. Like, <laughs> it's it's this, possible. It's like a 2% chance. Yeah, we'll see 2.5. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's going to be pretty tough. Uh, my question, I'm actually follow up from Pierre. Why do you think, because everything you see about Pierre on Reddit, on Twitter, on anywhere on the internet is, man, this guy sucks. What, what makes you think that the reasoning behind keeping him? Like, what was the, is the network's logic being like, you know what, this year again, we'll keep Pierre. I, I sadly, I'll, I'll interject. I sadly think it goes back to the casual fan and Pierre Maguire is a gimmick. And I think it's a, it's a gimmick the casual fan, I don't know if they enjoy, but it's easy to digest. He doesn't, I, he doesn't I would get never so say Pierre and easy to digest in the same sentence ever. Yeah, but NBC is trying to get the fan that doesn't watch hockey. So if they got a guy spouting off where a kid went to college and the, six friends his sister had on the 14th of November in 2013. Like that's a thing a casual fan could be like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. That's quirky. Whereas people who watch hockey on a nightly basis, it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ, please God, shut up. Yeah. Uh, He's just, I think that's actually, that's pretty on point. Like he just does trivia mostly. And I think, as you said, that's easy to digest, even though it's completely vacuous. Vacuous. Yeah, Man, it, every single it, week we have a word on this podcast now where I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I sadly think that, yeah, the, the casual fan sees – and I think enough hockey fans bitch about Pierre Maguire where a casual fan hears the name and they go, oh, I've heard something about this guy. I don't remember if it's good or bad, but I've, I've at least heard of him. And I, I think it's, it's kind of like Tim McCarver in baseball got to a point where it was just – Tim, what, what the fuck are you doing? And yet, I think casual baseball fans liked it, whereas smart marks just had enough. And I think Pierre Maguire has reached the same point. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, I think a lot of it in hockey is just that you can kind of fail upwards. Like, like Milbury is, in theory, uh, an expert on the game, but he is literally the worst modern GM, right? Like, he, he's made three or four all-timer bad moves that are still affecting the course of the league. Yeah. Yeah, not great. I, Alexa, Alexa Yashin still sticks out to me. It's it's funny with Milbury because he – so he went to Colgate, which my dad went to. My dad hates hockey, doesn't follow it, but he knows Mike Milbury is a fucking failure. So every time I bring up that Milbury went to Colgate, my dad's like, can you pick anyone else? Literally <laughs> anyone else that went to my college. <laughs> All right, let's get to why we actually brought you on is to talk about possible trades with your team, the Leafs. 
The Rangers, mm-hmm. do you see anybody that the Leafs could be scouting possibly or that would help the Leafs this season? Um, so the Leafs are kind of an interesting, interesting spot. They did, I think, what I think will be the last of their big business this year in acquiring Jake Muzzin uh, earlier this month. Which was a good trade, by the way. Congratulations. Yeah, and, and Muzzin, notwithstanding that he had, I think, a tough game against the Rangers. He's, he's been good. He's been what we expected. And one thing I really liked about that deal is that Muzzin has another year at a very manageable cap hit, and that's going to be very important for the Leafs because we are, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard, we are up against the cap pretty heavily next year. I heard. And uh, there's other teams out there just like drooling over your RFAs, so that's not a big deal. Yeah, either. exactly. So um, the other thing is that Kyle Dubas has mentioned a couple times that he is not really a fan of rentals, and it's easy to see why, right? Because especially if you're a good team, and I think the Leafs are a good team, um, generally you have pretty decent players. So a rental is only really helping you for two months and they're replacing a player who is all, already most likely pretty decent for their position, right? So the marginal gain is often not big. Now, the Leafs are a team where I could see a rental being of some use if it helped in their weakest spot, which is still their right side of defense. Um, but the only guy the Rangers have that fulfills that is Adam McQuaid. And suffice to say, we are... Not interested in Adam McQuaid, I don't think, based on what we know of Kyle Dubas. Or at least, let me say this more accurately. I am not interested in Adam McQuaid. <laughs> yeah. um, for good reason, by the way. I mean, I totally see why you wouldn't be interested in him. But if I was like, hey, a fourth rounder, you'd be like, also no? Yeah, I think McQuaid is literally like a negative value asset. Like, I, I honestly don't think he is... is I don't, I don't think he supplants anyone on the Leafs. It's important to talk about value, you know? <laughs> Negative asset. Uh, okay, I get it. Um, so maybe he's not yeah, the guy you want. Yeah. It's just funny with McQuaid because we were talking before we started recording. Mm-hmm. And Ryan and I 100% would agree with you. I think independently, Adam McQuaid is not just past his prime, but past the point of truly useful every night defender. At the end of the day, Adam McQuaid is, is probably, on a good team, a depth defenseman. Someone you feel all right scratching and playing if an injury comes up. At the same time, we can't ignore the fact that Brady Shea has played his best hockey this year next to Adam McQuaid. And again, it's, it's not exactly like McQuaid is helping him do specific things. But Adam McQuaid has to be helping in some manner, right? It, it can't just be coincidence. Well, maybe I suppose it could. maybe it could. I suppose, but just like I, I'm, so, I'm just so much more comfortable willing to bet on like the last five years of his career where he's been like really, really bad. And the thing I, I've seen a decent amount of him because he was in Boston for a long time, mm-hmm. right? And it's just I thought he was washed. I thought he was washed when we played them in the playoffs, not last year, but like the the it was four one game. I thought he was washed in 2013. Dude, might have been. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, you it, might not be wrong. By the way. I don't think he's gotten that much better uh, as he's gone into his 30s. So it's just like, I feel like with the Leafs, especially for a rental, if it's only a marginal upgrade, and I think we would all agree that even if we think he's better than, I don't know, say Ron Hainsey, um, McQuaid is very much a marginal upgrade. There are actually some Rangers who I would have interest in, but it would be like a harder sell, I think, because the guys who I think I'd I'd sort of be interested in, um, okay, I'll mention the one that I think will definitely not happen off the top. I would love Chris Kreider on the Rangers. He is the perfect left winger for the Leafs. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna be a Absolutely nice price perfect. tag, as you probably know. Yeah. Yes, you... and, and the, 
the, what will increase it even further is that we can't afford Chris Kreider at his, you know, very manageable in a vacuum, 4.6 mil cap hit. We would need the Rangers yeah. to retain, which would obviously increase what you guys would have to ask from us. Right, including this play. I, I, I can't see a scenario where the Leafs aren't, I mean, first of all, it hurts that the Leafs already traded their first round pick. But yes. So that, let's let's for a let's for a second live in a world where we think the Rangers might actually offer sheet someone this summer. So your 2020 first round pick technically more valuable than your 2019 first round pick. So that let's let's for a second say that's not off the table. Still, I think Timothy Lilgren for sure. I think I I can't imagine. I think you'd have to trade Andreas Johnson too. I think you have to trade both those guys and a first to get Kreider at this point in time. Kreider's playing some of his best hockey. Yeah, and he's he's a, he's a very good player. In my opinion, he's a first-line left winger. Um, the Leafs don't have great left wingers. Janssen, uh, the guy you mentioned, is is most likely our best, and he's for some reason playing on the fourth-line right wing, which is confusing to us too. Um, and then to make matters worse, and this is why I really don't think this will happen, the Leafs actually, even this year, um, because we need to leave room for the bonuses of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, uh, we actually don't have that much cap space right now to even accept a trade. We probably have about 2.8 mil in terms of deadline cap space after you factor in the bonuses. Um, Bob McKenzie mentioned that the Leafs are at this point are, uh, if they're getting involved in a trade, it's more or less dollar in, dollar out, which means it doesn't have to strictly be we have to send out exactly how much we receive, but there are some limitations there. So as much as I would like it, I think Kreider becomes impossible because after you you know, finagle all of those things that we need in there, the return that you guys would justifiably ask for would just be monstrous and not worth us paying at that point. Right. 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 Yeah, it, it's, it's difficult. Uh, I, I truly don't think, I just don't see a purpose in the Rangers trading Kreider before this year's deadline. Just yes, that's the other thing. contract next year. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, you guys would have a better informed opinion on this than me, but I think Kreider can also be a part of the next good Rangers team. Uh, that's kind of been yes. our, 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 our driving home point all year is that Mika and Kreider are part of the next good Rangers team, and that's the whole point of having them here. Why yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and it, it, it's Kreider, the same... Kreider might even wear the C, if we're being completely honest. Yeah, and it's the same way the Leafs kept James Van Riemsdyk until last year where he was a free, a free agent. We kept Nazem Kadri, we kept Jake Gardner, all guys who contributed to the last two years of them being a playoff team, right? And without those guys, we are almost certainly not a playoff team these last two years, right? And I, I think kind of a similar thing is going to happen with both Zibanejad and Kreider. Um, another guy who I'd sort of be interested in is Nemestikov, actually. And it's the same sort of idea, except he's obviously a worse player, and you guys would most likely be able to be willing to give him up for less. But again, we mm-hmm. need retention there and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, and sec- secretly, I mean, for the Leafs, I, I don't feel like a lot of teams would have a problem having $4 million on their their payroll in the trade for next year for a guy who is a, a, a middle a middle winger at the end of the day. If you put him with the right center, I think he could play on a second line somewhere. Yeah, and I think I think he's good defensively, which the Leafs kind of need. He's at least responsible defensively. Uh, I don't. I don't. Anytime the Mestikov's on the ice, I don't feel like he's giving anything up in the defensive zone. But but to your point, that's a four million dollar contract. That I don't think the Rangers would have a problem eating half of it. But are you even comfortable getting a a two million dollar player at this point in time? A two million dollar player could work. Um, I mean, look, no matter what it is next year, the Leafs are going to make some hard decisions. Uh, and that's pretty much a function of, I, you can never say it's a function of two things or one thing because it's, you know, all every contract counts on the books. But really it's the, the Patrick Marlowe contract and the Nikita Zaitsev contract are the two problems. 
Um, yeah. the, the Marlow deal was one I really didn't like at the time, and it's I don't know if you guys you guys probably didn't notice him yesterday because he was very very ineffective. I thought, but that that's pretty much been him the entire year, and he's he's had a great career, but he's thirty nine and it shows. Yeah, it, it never really made sense for him to get a three year deal when he did. Yeah, I, realistically, that's probably why he came to Toronto, though. Right, I'm guessing yeah. a lot of teams were happy with the two year, and I would have been happy with the two year because we don't really need the cap space this year. But it's it's next year when it's really problematic. Um, so Nemestikov would be interesting, um, but like I, I don't know what you guys would would necessarily ask for him. And I, at this I, point, I, the Leafs prospect pipeline is it's not so much a pipeline as it is a very slow trickle. Yeah, I I think the Rangers would ask for a second, but I I think you can negotiate them down to a third. Just uh, like with retention, with retention, I think it would be hard for the Rangers to budge yeah. off that second round pick because the yeah. Rangers so, are I mean, also operating from a mindset where they were able to flip Michael Grabner last year for a second and a decent prospect. Yeah, so it it would be hard. It would be hard for the Rangers to say that Nemestikov is that much worse than Michael Grabner was at the deadline last year. So you're you're probably looking at at least a second round pick if there's retention involved and. You're probably giving up not a necessarily B level prospect, but someone in someone on the Marlies with intriguing upside. Yeah. So I mean, and especially with uh, Brian Boyle went for a second, didn't he? Yes, he sure like, did. Like, yeah. So that that that's if I mean if that's the case, then you could argue up from from there with with Nemestnikov because I think he's probably better than Brian Boyle is right now. Uh, has a, another year on contract with a pretty manageable cap hit. So I do, he, he, I do think, quite I do think, I do think Boyle though served a specific purpose, and I think the Predators were willing to pay for that specific purpose. Yeah, like, that's I, true. I I don't think Brian Boyle was worth a second round pick to everyone, but I feel like Nashville was in a position where they felt they were missing that from their lineup—a big-bodied, bottom pairing, bottom line forward who can also possibly stand in front of the net on the power play. And I, I, I think so. I think the Predators overpaid because they knew what they needed. But if if you were just shopping Brian Boyle to other teams, I don't think you get a second round pick. Yeah, that that, that that's a that's a valid point. I think. So yeah, Nemestikov would be interesting to me. Um, I, I'd have to like workshop the deal a bit, and I mean, it's possible to do it without retention if we send you back someone like say Connor Brown, mm. who not, is making not familiar with Connor Brown. Uh, so he's a tw- 25-year-old right winger, makes 2.1 mil this year and next. Uh, so, okay, I'll, I'll try and sell you on Connor Brown, and then I'll sell me, tell sell you me. what I actually think of him. Uh, so he won an OHL junior scoring title. He's uh, sem- was a sixth-round pick, local Toronto kid. Everyone here loves him. Uh, Babcock loves him. Solid defensively, plays hard, knows his role, executes good on the PK, scored 20 goals as a rookie, um, has, been, has had to move down in the lineup because... We unfortunately, not unfortunately, we fortunately have three right wingers better than him in Austin, or sorry, in Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and Kasperi Kapanen. So his offensive struggles have largely arisen because he's fallen down in the lineup, but he still does have, I think, a uh, third line scoring potential. That was right? a really so he, good think, sell, by the way. Everything you just said is like, ooh, that sounds like an <laughs> enticing player. Now tell me how you really feel. <laughs> I think Connor Brown on a good team is a. Elite fourth liner or mediocre third liner. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, he, I, I get a, I get a lot of Ryan Strom vibes from Connor Brown, which if not you're the New Rangers isn't a bad isn't a bad thing. Yeah, like if you're so, trading the Mestikov and you mm-hmm. want a guy under contract who can play the wing 
and is going to be under contract at a lower number than Nemeskov last next year. I, I, if I'm the Rangers, and you can also get a draft pick with Connor Brown, I, I don't see why not. That that actually sounds not just not just interesting, but shit, get Kyle Dubas on the phone. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, call I'm Kyle. Sure. Up, tell him the booster breakaway boys want to do something. <laughs> I'm not deal. sure what the draft asset would be uh, in this case, or if there would be one. It, it would certainly be lowered in quality, but um, so. The reason I'm not as high on Brown as many people uh, were, I think mo- now Brown is the guy who all Leafs fans kind of lump into a trade, uh, to be honest. But I-, I advocated trading for him after his 20-goal rookie year. And the reason I said that is because saying he had a 20-goal rookie year is a bit misleading because uh, I think four of those were empty netters. Well, you know, Ooh. they count one way or another, right? Yeah. And he, he had 20 goals and 16 assists. So he had 36 points, which is not bad for a rookie, but he was a relatively old rookie. He was 23. He spent half the year alongside Austin Matthews. So that helped a lot. Um, he he's a, he is, I think, legitimately a solid defensive player. He's kind of a player that um, slows the game down to zero. Like not much happens for either team when he's on the ice. It's a good Ooh, right? And that, when, you, when you're, on the, when you're a thing. Leaf, that's a good thing because the rest yeah, of your that, players... Make sure the game is five nothing most of the time, unless Georgiev's going crazy. Yeah, and and that can, I think he is legitimately good as a you know bot, as a guy who you're not counting on for offense, but can provide a little bit. He can play on the PK. He he is a legitimately useful player. I don't think he's overpaid by much, if at all. Um, it's just the Leafs at this point, um, for a guy who realistically should be on their fourth line right wing, they can't afford to pay two point one million to him. So I think he's pretty much gone in the off season with almost certainty um hmm. and i would expect to see him traded at the draft to be honest i feel like we've already, but, we're, that we've we've done a deal i feel like we've had a lot of different these trade sort of podcast segments i feel like this is the first deal that me and greg have been like yeah let's do it am i wrong greg? i i have i have terrible news for arvin though you know whose salary matches up really well to connor brown's though who's Adam McQuaid. Mm, interesting. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> like, like if you if, if you if you're preaching if you're preaching dollar in dollar out, all I'm saying is those contracts are awfully similar. Connor Brown for Adam McQuaid, I'd do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I'm shocked. All right, Arvin, we we got to get out of here. Uh, go do one more of these. But thank you so much for coming. I want you to plug all your stuff as you always do. Yes, yeah, so you can find all my work at pensionplanpuppets.com. Uh, we do a lot of great Leafs coverage, uh, Marty's coverage, and also coverage of the CWHL, which I think um, we do probably better than almost anyone else out there. Uh, um, definitely check us out. You can also follow me on Twitter at RV, A-R-B-I. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on. If, if the Leafs do do a trade with the Rangers and Adam McQuaid is a Ranger in two weeks, we'll have you back on. <laughs> we'll do. Thanks, buddy. Thanks Talk for having soon. me, guys. Peace out. We're back with Dan Ryan. You are from Stanley Cup of Chowda. Did I get that right? Yes, excellent, excellent. Well done. Thank you so much. Uh, our, our good boss and friend who's been on the podcast a couple of different times. Our final trade segment. Dan is uh, bringing up the rear here as Boston uh, never does these days as they're always in first place in literally everything they do. Congratulations on the Red Sox and the Patriots, you piece of shit. Uh, and welcome back to the podcast. Well, it's tough, though, because the Celtics lost to the Lakers on the last second shot the other yeah. night. So now oh. it's kind of it's kind of soured. Oh, boy. And the, ball, lock, ball and the locker down, room, man. like, how are they going to get over it? What are they going to do? Trade for Anthony Davis for and not and keep Tatum? Just, oh, no. Yeah, you know, it's 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 been tough here the last last week or so. A lot of uh, 
<laughs> a lot of regular season losses that we have to digest, but we'll be okay. You fucking asshole. Um, <laughs> let's, um, I guess let's just get straight to it, right? The one topic and the one name that has been brought up with the Bruins and the Rangers, and we had pleasure with trading with you last year, uh, is Kevin Hayes. And, and you're very fond of Kevin Hayes, as I remember, and even you told us before the podcast today. Absolutely. My, my, my old neighbor from growing up in Dorchester, he grew up like six houses down the street from me. We used to play street hockey together and he was always a lot better than me, uh, believe it or not. Huh, so, uh, yeah, good kid. Uh, it's been great to actually see him turn into a, a productive player in the NHL. Cause you know, you hear about these kids when you're younger and then to see him actually pan out like this is pretty cool to watch. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess Dan, the big, the, the bigger picture question, I mean, it, it it refers to Kevin Hayes when we're talking about the Rangers, but I guess we can talk strictly about how willing are the Bruins in your mind to make a rental deadline move again? Because I, I believe Elliot Friedman has been on 31 Thoughts podcast the last couple of weeks saying uh, Bruins management not thrilled with the end result of the Rick Nash trade. So do you think there's a chance the Bruins straight up sit out this year's deadline? Yeah, I, I actually wouldn't be surprised if they did. And I, I, you know, I don't know. I think that the Nash trade is a tough one to grade fairly because they ran into a good team in Tampa and lost. You know, they, they got outplayed thoroughly in that series. But, you know, they, they had that first game where they ran all over Tampa and then they just kind of ran out of gas. But I can't help but wonder, looking back at that, what, what a healthy Rick Nash could have done for that team because he wasn't right that, that whole run really after he got that last concussion so I don't fault them for making the splash last year because of the position they were in they were among the favorites to go to the final um, depending on who you talk to and you know it was clear that Tampa was a good team and they upgraded with McDonough and some of the other moves they made but I don't think it was as clear this year that they were that much better than everyone Uh, having said that it is incredibly clear to me right now that Tampa is head and shoulders better than everyone in the division, everyone probably in the Eastern Conference. I think everyone uh, in the whole league, I think it's easy to say. Yeah, there's some teams out West that might give them trouble, but I, you know, I just, I, I would agree that I, I don't, I don't necessarily think they got burnt last year making that move. And I do think it was the right move at the time, you know, kind of screw it. Let's go for it. But um, based on how good Tampa has been and how horribly frustrating the Bruins have been to watch. I would be pretty surprised if they actually pulled the trigger on another mega deal, whether it's something that involves their first round pick again, or something that involves dealing a top prospect. So, you know, who knows, they could go on a, a bit of a run in the next couple of weeks that might change Sweeney's mind. But I, I would agree that, that, that this probably isn't the year to go all in again. Well, I mean, Rick Nash uh, aside, you did get Nick Holden, and that really helped you guys out. Did he, didn't he score a goal in the playoffs? I, I, maybe I'm he, making that up. I swear he, that he had. No, he, like, did. He, he did. Yeah. He did. He did. Because that's like, what Nick Holden well, does. He sucks you in. Yeah, but you, you still, we still have people up here who are freaking out every time Adam McQuaid breathes, so you guys got the better <laughs> of that deal. Well, <laughs> I'll look, tell you, you, I... I I like Adam McQuaid. I lo- I, you know, I loved him as a player here just because he's one of those guys who just, you know, kind of just goes out there and puts his head down and gets hurt a lot, but he keeps trying. And 
but I'm not joking when I say there are people on on the Stanley Cup Chowder Facebook page, which I have the pleasure of managing, uh, who on, on a weekly basis almost say that this team's entire problem this year comes down to lack of Adam McQuaid. That when they traded you, him, I have great news for you, Dan. <laughs> yeah, I know he's available again, isn't he? <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, if you if you want if you want him back, all you have to do is send us a third round pick, and he's yours, no problem. I'm, I'm telling you, there are people, and I shouldn't insult them because they read my website, but there are people who believe they should trade like a second round pick to get McQuaid back. And you know what? It's sweet. Sweeney, Sweeney did trade for Zach Ronaldo. It's important to not forget that. So you never know. Don't rule it out. Just tell I mean, them. If, tell if, them they can call we, Gordon whatever they want. Honestly, if if you want, we can package McQuaid with Hayes, and we could just two birds, one stone. No problem. Yeah, um, probably get seven first round picks and David Pasternak, <laughs> and well, you traded Cody McLeod, right? That would have gotten you. We did. We did for a pick, so, by the way. You might. You might add. Yeah. Right, yeah, we actually we got a draft pick in that one too. Uh, yeah. Well, let let let's uh, let's work this one out. Let let's say in theory, the Bruins do want to make another another move to push the chips in a little bit further. What do you think is a realistic ask for Kevin Hayes or any rental if you're a team shopping in the in the Bruins aisle? Because I personally have always had a man crush on JFK Jacob Forsbacher Carlson, and the but I'm guessing he's not that available. It's kind of tough to say because, I mean, if, if so, if you look at the market, to me, um, I, I admittedly don't know everyone on the market, but it seems like Hayes, Panarin, and uh, Zuccarello, and then maybe Wayne Simmons are like the biggest actual names on there. Uh, of those we're wait- three. Yeah, wait, we're, we're waiting on what the Senators want to do with Duchesne and well, Stone. True, yeah, well, true, yeah, Duchesne and Stone. Yeah, well, they'll probably trade them for a bag of donuts or something based on how they run that <laughs> franchise. But, yeah, they'll, those guys, too, because they, uh, to me, they almost have to re-sign them or you know, that team might, I mean, might literally fold if they lose two more good – maybe not, though, who knows. But th- those are the big names out there, and – you know, there are a lot of people here who want Panarin because they think he'd fit good in the top six. There's people who want Simmons because they think he's the player they, that he was, you know, three or four years ago where everyone would have loved him on the Bruins. But if they're going to deal, you know, anything of value, it probably has to start with a draft pick. And then I, you know, you mentioned Forsback at Carlson. I, wouldn't think he's on I think he's far from untouchable. Uh I think he's been a little disappointing this year. They it's kind of been up and down. He's had games where he's looked like a, a guy who's gonna blossom into a top tier two way player and then he's had games where you forget he's playing, which I know happens with young players, but they seem to have been a little frustrated with his development. Um and truthfully every guy they've brought up, every prospect who is supposed to be the next kind of next man in line for that third line center spot just hasn't panned out whether it's um, JFK or Frederick's up now, but he looks like he's probably going to be heading back down. So I think he played eight minutes the other night. So, I mean, if I, I don't think that Forsbacker Carlson is anywhere near untouchable. I think maybe he's even more tradable now than he was before the season started. Um, so I could see them moving him for the right move, but he, like you said, it might have to be part of a bigger package because I don't think they're just going to trade him for, you know, for a, I shouldn't say this because they probably will, but trade him for like a third line guy for depth. I will, I, I guess maybe I just view him as untouchable because 
there's something so beautiful about a guy with the initials JFK playing for the Boston Bruins. It just of course. like he just gave him a ten year deal now. What are we doing? Well, if he could fight, they probably would have already, because that's all that matters is if you can play with toughness. But and I don't, I, I do. I mean, for just to be clear, I do think it's way too early to give up on him, and he's not a bust or anything. But um, I don't. So I was actually going to write a post on this, and I keep getting lazy. But to me, the only, and this is just my opinion. I'm sure others will say I'm crazy, but the only two guys in their system who I wouldn't trade right now would be uh, Jack Studnicka and uh, Erho Vakaninen because one is lighting it up in the OHL or see where well, I think he's still the OHL um, and almost made the team this year, which is pretty hard to do as a, a young forward. And then Vakaninen actually did make the team as a teenage defenseman from Finland who just kind of came out of nowhere. So they're going to be sent on the blue line in coming years as Chara eventually retires and, they don't have any real, you know, top level prospects next. So I wouldn't move him and I wouldn't move Studnicka. But to me, anyone else in the system should at least be in play if it's for the right move. So you're of the opinion then, Dan, if, and correct me if I'm wrong. If the Bruins make a move, you think they should swing swing for the fences? There, There's no reason for the Bruins to make even a secondary improvement like a Wayne Simmons or Matt Zuccarello? No, so what, what there's still there's different things. What I think and what they they may do are probably different. I I have a hard time believing that they're gonna just stand pat just because you know everyone knows who their owner is and the the money they would get from an uh, an extra playoff round. You know, if you can push it from the first to the second, is pretty pretty important to the ownership. So I don't think they're just gonna do nothing. I personally don't think they should make a giant splash i think it would be a waste because while i think they're they they have the potential to be better than they have been i still the way i look at it is the bruins are you know at best the same team they were last year and in real to be realistic probably slightly worse and tampa is better than they were last year toronto is better than they were last year you can even throw a team like Montreal or any of the teams in the Metro that are probably better than they were last year. So I just think looking at it realistically, they were in a better position last year at this time than they are this year. They swung for the fences then and it didn't work out. And I kind of feel like making a move like that now for a Hayes or a Panarin um, would kind of just be chasing after a very small probability of success. I still think... You know, as this team is now, they could get out of the first round if they're matched up with Toronto or, you know, maybe a seat out in the Metro if they get in the wild card. But I, I, I don't know. I have a hard time seeing them getting past Tampa, even if they add. Um, I mean, it gets more interesting if they add Hayes or Simmons or Panarin. But um, anyone, I, I just don't. Part of me just wants to see them do it just because, you know, the chaos that would ensue would be great for, for our website. But... I don't know that it would be the smartest move. There's nothing wrong with being prudent and saying this might not be our year and kind of holding on to some of your pieces and making a run next year. Do you feel like the Lightning have been sort of the semi-warriors of, of the NHL, whereas other teams maybe might not be buyers because they see the Lightning as such a big threat? 
Yeah, and I don't, I don't think, I think it, you know, it's a little different in the NBA just because in, in a lot of cases it's so clear that the team has, that has more star power is going to win. The Warriors will win the finals beat. this year no matter what happens. That's just going to happen. Sorry, guys. Well, unless the Celtics learn how to play yeah, again yeah, and can make it at least interesting, yeah, but they're so. going to have a hard enough time getting out of the East, so I don't think we're worried about that. But it's, I mean, it's just different for in basketball because of how how much it matters individual talent. Like one guy can really take over a game. And for Tampa, I mean, they're deep and they're incredibly talented. But you know, they lost last year to a, a good team. And I, I mean, I'm not. I don't think they're in, in any way untouchable or um, a slam dunk to win it all. But I do think that it would take a very special set of circumstances for the Bruins to beat them in a seven-game series this year. Uh, I know that they haven't had the strongest goaltending in defense, or at least earlier in the season. Maybe they figured that out, but um, it'll be interesting to see because the Bruins play them, uh, I believe, the 26th or so at the end of this month. It's either right before or right after the deadline, so you can. I kind of hope it's after. Because if it's before and the Bruins go out and beat him three nothing, Sweeney's going to lose his mind and trade for everyone to go on another run. But um, I don't think they're untouchable in the league. But I don't think the Bruins are going to be able to skate with them in a series this year. All right, Dan. Well, thanks so much for coming on and informing us that we will not be making a trade. I hope we do trade HC and get your first round pick again. But hey, listen, that's that's just one. Well, answer. I mean, he's. He's gonna get. A, he's gonna fetch them a first at some point. I mean, part of me wouldn't be surprised if, if they trade him and he comes back to them in the summer and says, "Let's try this again." <laughs> Do the old, you know, trade him to someone, get a pick, and come back in July and see if he wants to stay in New York. Then I, I think mean, that would be kind of. I funny, think two players but... will be doing that. By the way, I think it'll be Kevin Hayes that'll come back and ask if we want to resign him or not, and I think Zuccarello will be the other. Well, because they, they I mean, I, I know. Zuccarello seems like he likes it in New York. I know Kevin likes it in New York. So you'd think that, you know, it's kind of a, a wink nudge thing. Like, hey, we got to get something for you now. If you want to revisit it in a couple of months, let's talk then. But I can't blame I, the Rangers for moving either of them because it's kind of a no really the, the more I think about it, the more I just – I think the whole Kevin Hayes thing is they just don't want to pay him $6.5 million a year. I yeah, just don't I'm think not, they see him as that kind of player. No, and that's and then that's kind of just what the market rate is at this point for a player of his caliber. So if they if they see the team going in a different direction, then yeah, you have to trade him. And maybe you do circle back in July and say, hey, would you take you know a long deal for slightly less and see if he considers it? You worth a try. So you can't, you know, it's kind of a no. I don't know. I think it's a, in a way a no lose for them because they're going to get something for him. And if they feel like it's not. Uh, in the cards for real long-term thing, then yeah, cash out at the deadline and they are going to get a pick and a prospect at least if someone might overpay and even go higher than that. So we'll see. Yeah. We're open. Yeah. It's felt like Winnipeg for the last month and I'm, I'm going to just continue to think that he's going to Winnipeg. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that too for, a while so it just seems and then they're a team that you know they probably thought they were a piece away last year so that if they add him and shore up their depth down the middle they could be pretty tough out in in the west but for for zuccarello i mean what what do you guys think would be the ask for him uh, he's on a tear now yeah. before he went on this tear i think you could have convinced us that he doesn't get more than a second but he's been a he's been a point a game player for the better part of 
the last month. I I think we're getting to a point where he's going to he's got he's got rights to a first round pick as well, I think. Possibly. Especially considering especially considering his salary fits in everywhere. He is well underpaid considering the production he gives a team. So possibly possibly a first. first. I think he's guaranteed a second. That's where I'm at. Does he does he play on the right or the left? I don't remember. Uh, he's been playing on the right recently because the top line has been Kreider on the left with Zibanejad down the middle, and they've had Zuccarello on the right, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. So, I mean, he the, the problem is I, I could see the Bruins having interest in him because they're, they've been for a while starved for, for options on David Krejci's right, uh, really for – since Nathan Horton left, they haven't had a room. I mean, again, they fit in there for a year, I guess. But um, I can see them kind of going maybe, and this is no defense to Zuccarello, but maybe right, we're not going for the top-tier guy. Let's see what's a step below. And, you know, I could see them kind of adding a guy with speed and skill like that to that line. But, you know, I don't – Krejci's always played well with, like, kind of the – the bruisers who can create space for him to pass. He's not known as a speedster, and I don't know that they would be a great fit. But then I guess you could always bump him up to the first line, too. And I mean, anyone who plays as Bergeron and Marshawn uh, would do well. So I just think if, if Zuccarello is going to come in the first, and I, I agree with you that he probably will because teams are going to get desperate, uh, the Bruins are going to go to the Rangers with the first-round pick, I would think they'd rather use it on Hayes just because they desperately need help down the middle on that third line. So um, we'll see. They always make a trade with the Rangers. It's just, it's just constant. <laughs> so something is gonna, there's going to be something that happens. It's you guys in Tampa and... every single year. I mean, thank you guys so much. But it's it hasn't really worked out for us either. So it's not like we've been, we've been just cleaning up. Uh, I don't the, I, I still – I keep remembering every now and then that the third-round pick – the Rangers got for Nick Holden. They used on this kid, Joey Keane. Oh yeah, that's true. He's immediately one of the four best prospects the Rangers have in their system. And it's, what's um, what's the story with Lindgren? Has he done anything or not really? He's been. He got a cup of cup of coffee with the Rangers in the chowder. middle of the year when yeah every yeah. Every, every defenseman got hurt. Um, so they brought Lindgren up for three or four games, and he he more than held his own. He looked all right. Uh, yeah, it's hard to judge anyone down in Hartford because that entire team is a, a clusterfuck buried in a dumpster fire. Nice. So you, you almost have to throw out everything that's going on in the AHL for the Rangers. But yeah, yeah. when, when Lindgren, when Lindgren came up, he looked, he looked solid. I don't think anyone's got complaints about Ryan Lindgren right now. Yeah. So he was one who was a lot of, well, there are a lot of people who had issues with them giving him up in that trade, but uh, you know, you got to give to get in that situation, but he's someone that, um, a lot of people following the Bruins are high on for a while. So obviously that doesn't change when he gets traded. So I remember seeing he came up and was following it uh, casually, but then you don't want to follow too closely because if he does really well, you just get upset. So I'll keep my distance for a while. Yeah, I, I get I get why Bruins fans would be angry about losing Lindgren because he's basically all the things that Bruins fans love about Adam McQuaid. I can see them in Ryan Lindgren with the addition that Lindgren might actually be Decent. Yes. Well, that's a big component to have. But does he get hurt? So that's that's the key thing. Does he injure himself? <laughs> he hasn't. He hasn't yet this year. So advantage, Ryan Lindgren. 
Oh yeah, that, that's sort of the, the danger. I guess the team's trading for McQuaid. I've heard that he's been linked to Toronto, which would just be hilarious. People would lose their we, mind. We just <laughs> actually talked about that for like 20 minutes with a, a, a Toronto writer right before you get on here. So it's pretty funny that you said that because he was, he was like, no fucking way. Why the hell would I want him? <laughs> I mean, he what he would be, and this is a little bit of a stretch, but uh, in 2011, the Bruins, I somehow, I think it was around the deadline, acquired Shane Knighty, uh, and he was on that team that won the Stanley Cup. It actually played, I think in game two against Montreal in the first round, he played because Chara got hurt. But McQuaid's like one of those guys where you kind of have, you, I could see Toronto acquiring him for, you know, if the series gets gets really physical, he can play that game and he can fill in for some, maybe, maybe one of their kids on defense has a tough night or something. He gives um, Babcock options, but I, I would see if Toronto was going to get him after they got Muzzin, I would imagine he would be depth only at that point. So I don't, I mean, they seem like they kind of know what they're doing up there now, which is disappointing because it's always been fun to watch uh, the yearly Toronto circus, but it's just been, it's weird to me that he's been linked to them so consistently. And, you know, if any, any team up there is, is talking to Canadian writers. You got to think it's the Leafs, so it's not coming from nowhere. But I don't know. We'll see. That would be kind of funny because the Bruins fans on my Facebook page would just be really upset and have to <laughs> block a few people. But it's okay. It's part of the job. <laughs> All right, Dan. Thank uh, thanks so much for coming. I want you to plug yourself before we get out of here. Yeah, so this website stanleycupofchowder.com. Uh, you can come visit us in a couple of weeks to learn more about the player that we traded to the Rangers, <laughs> and we'll try to do our best. We'll do our best to tell you all about him, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Awesome, Dan. Thanks so much for coming on, as always, man. All right, thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right, Greg. Jesus, stop yelling at me. All right, we're back. Uh, two great interviews back to back. Yeah, if you stop fucking touching yourself, I wouldn't have to yell at you. It's a problem I've had since I was very young. You know, I'd be in public and my mother would be like, what are you doing? You can't do that in public. They would hit my hand away. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the toddler who announced to an entire movie That's theater true. that I had a big penis. That's true. So. Hey, listen, you should still do it, to be honest. More movie Mondays. <laughs> just, just, get, just get in there, you know? Yeah, the next movie we're going to see is the Lego movie. That's a really appropriate movie for a <laughs> soon-to-be 30-year-old to announce that Guys, I gotta go. I got a big penis. Dude, there's been so yeah. many moments I've felt really old this week. Uh, it's been pretty troublesome. I'll be honest. Uh, you you want to know? I'll bring this full circle about feeling old. You want to know the moment I felt like, fuck, I'm old? Yeah, I do, um, actually. It was Travis Darno's birthday the other day. Yeah. And the Mets were like, happy birthday. And then other people quote tweeted and being like, Darno, 30, made his debut in 2014. I was like, what the fuck? Oh, no. Why is Travis Darno 30 years old? What the shit yeah, happened when, here? When Georgiev was like, they're like, happy birthday, Georgiev. He's 23. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> no, no, you know the funny? That one, that one doesn't, that one didn't impact. It's, it's not the young guys celebrating birthdays where I feel old. It's the guys who were young when I was young that'd be like, yeah, this is a guy I this can get behind. This is a fucking prospect that, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like Darno turning thirty, or um, the fact that fucking David Wright's retired, like that means I'm fucking old. Yeah. Like I remember where I was when David Wright got promoted. That's that's a very clear memory for me. Rick Nash and it was gone. post bar mitzvah. I think when Henrik goes, that's when I'm like, that's it. 
I'm old now. I'm, I'm settled in. Nothing else I can do. Or even like Chris Kreider's 29. Yeah. What the fuck happened? Is Chris Kreider 29? Hold on. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Hold on. He's 28, 29. No way. Hold on. I I know we like yeah, come on team and everything, but it's like. Yeah, he he up there, Chief. I'm looking. I'm looking. I went to um. Uh-huh. I went to a concert. great podcast. Yeah, here. he's 27 right now. He turns 28 in April. Um, that's he's so he's 29. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I went to a concert over the weekend and uh, just to brag about it. But I I'm usually sure. one of those pit guys, right? I get in there, I like to push around, I like to scream and do all that that thing. I'm old. You're 140 pounds soaking wet. Why I, are you a pit? I brew. I've always been. I bruised a rib for the first time. Like I, I have. I, I was like, oh my god, I can't breathe. What happened? I got. I don't know. I'm just too old for this shit, I guess. But it was a great concert. Yeah. Shouts to Jeff Rosenstock. For 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 me, the thing that always says I'm old is just the recovery time from hangovers these days. Um, it's a, it's it's like a 48 hour period now. In college, it was a 48 minute period. I'd be ready to go after like breakfast, and now that I'm turning 30, like after the drink up, I don't I wasn't good until like Friday. I think that just makes what we did in Europe even more impressive. We we had helpers in Europe though. Well, at least I did. I don't know if you did. I mean, Heather. But yeah, anyway, uh, peace out, everyone. (laughs) See you next week. Bye.